0: Everyone, There's a theory to be found in political science, also in the political economics. It's called the McDonald's theory. The McDonald's theory works as follows. They argue that any countries that have a franchise network of McDonald's restaurants will not wage war against the other. The reason being fundamentally is that Assumingly, if a country has a franchise network of McDonald's restaurants, it shows an orientation to a Western lifestyle. And that the Western lifestyle is something that people genuinely, legitimately, profoundly want to protect. The ability to buy the things that you want to buy, live the way you want to live, vote how you want to vote. It's not perfect in every society, Countries have different levels of these kinds of things, but more or less the presence of McDonald's in a country is an affirmation of some things. Like a lot of theories. That's been blown out the window, by the way. It's also been bantered about that uh, Vladimir Putin is like another Hitler. We should also dismiss that theory. You see, Hitler was an evil person with an evil idea. He had an ideology. He wrote a book on it. And he convinced an entire people to believe it too. The only person who believes what Vladimir Putin believes is Vladimir Putin. This is a one-man war. He has some noxious fantasy in his mind that began with, first off, that the Ukrainian people are not a people. They're actually just Russians. And second, that when the Russian army comes in with their tanks, that people will throw flowers at them. And that the Ukrainian army will drop their weapons and they will surrender. And Zelensky, the president, will run away. And what happened? The exact opposite. That the Ukrainians now realize that they are more of a people than they were or what they realized two weeks ago. That when the Russian tanks came in, they didn't throw flowers. They threw anti-tank missiles and Molotov cocktails. That the Ukrainian army didn't lay down and surrender. They fought back. And Zelensky didn't run away. He stayed. The response of the world and the truth I must share with you, and I have no doubt that you have been gripped with this too. The more I think about it, and the more I hear of it, of the events taking place in Ukraine, the more I realize how deeply, profoundly serious this is. But we need to think about it in the right way what is so deeply troubling and threatening about the events of the past week and a half, so much so, think about this for a moment, that Sweden, Switzerland, and Monaco have shed their neutralities and have taken the side of sanctions and punitive actions, financially and otherwise, against Russia. And the reason why if there is near unanimous, unanimous recognition of the profound danger and evil of the past week and a half, and if you want no better argument to be seen, you could do far worse than go onto YouTube after Shabbat. And listen to the speech that the ambassador to the United Nations of Kenya gave: Kenya as to what is so horrible, and why this is a critical moment in the history of humanity. The reason is, is that in no small part, is that people widely now have either realized or are realizing that we are in a rubic moment of what could potentially change how we live in the world. The um, historian Yuval Harari once noted in one of the books that he wrote, I think it was uh, Sapiens, that prior to the modern industrial age, actually a little bit before that, prior to the 18th century, human history was filled with the annual GDPs of a kingdom or a country typically going 40, 50, 60 percent of their GDP going to the military building castles and fortresses, armies and weapons, full-time soldiers. And what was the effect of that? The effect of directing 40, 50, 60, 70 percent of the wealth that people's handiwork creates is that it leaves no money to educate people, to build hospitals and to heal them, to direct money to the arts to direct money to the finer things, that people can live better. For every dollar that you give to the military in a defense budget, that's one dollar less to give to a social worker, to a counselor in a school system to help trouble children, a dollar less to feed hungry people. In other words, every dollar that you direct, from butter to guns, it's a dollar that is robbed from building the kind of society that make people want to live in that kind of society. And that's one of the reasons why you have seen this near unanimous response in the world, because people realize that if we don't defeat this resoundedly We are on the precipice of a kind of existence that you don't want to live in, but I'll put it to you in another way. The GDP of Russia is about 10% less than the state of Texas. Bear in mind, they have about, I think, four times the amount of people living in Russia. I think 27% from what i read, these are based on 2019 numbers, but 27% of the people who live in Russia today do not have indoor plumbing. Russia directs 11% of its GDP to its army, the United States 2%. Russia essentially, the only thing that they produce is gas. When was the last time you bought something that was made in Russia? The only thing they produce is gas. So they're essentially a gas station with nuclear weapons. If this is not responded to and repelled, you're already seeing the ripple effects of it now. Germany has doubled its defense budget. The rest of the European countries will do it too. And as it ripples its way throughout the civilized world where more and more money is directed to tanks as opposed to schools, to bullets as opposed to brains, we will suffer for it both directly and indirectly because there are serious things that we really have to confront and that this is masking our attention to it. It is no surprise, it seems to me, and it's kind of subtly woven into the text that we read this morning in the Torah portion, particularly the Haftarah. The Haftarah, if you paid attention to it, tells the story of Solomon building the temple in Jerusalem. The ancient rabbis asked the question, why did Solomon build the temple? Because who was Solomon's father? It was King David. King David was the one who was told by God, that the temple would be built. But as a warning to King David, God said to him in the text that you will not be the one to build it, but those, the one who comes after you. And Solomon, Shlomo Amalek, King Solomon in the Haftorah for this morning, makes the referen- direct reference to it by saying that you told my father that I would come and build it. And the rabbis ask, why didn't King David build it? Why wasn't he allowed to build it? And that's because he was a man of war. That there was blood on his hands. And that the point of this, for those who are listening, I'm pointing to the walls of the synagogue. And the point of this, of what we believe, for thousands of years has been the unremitting belief faith in something better will make the world we live in better. That blood is not the way that we build the world. It's through cooperation and tolerance and understanding, by belief. One last thing I want to to say to you, it's been also rattling in the news, and it needs to be said. American lawmakers Amongst those Republicans who are, it must be acknowledged, have been friends, great friends, to the state of Israel. Have criticized Israel for not condemning strong enough what Vladimir Putin has done in in Ukraine. It's not without founding. There was some mixed messages coming out of Israel, particularly in the first week of the invasion, the first few days. Some of the representatives of the government, particularly Yair Lapid, the foreign minister, was vociferous in his condemnation. Other parties within the government were kind of muted. They didn't mention the name Russia. But it has to be stated that not only does Israel face a lethal, lethal northern border that is controlled by Russia. It used to be Syria, by the way. Now it's Russia. And Israel is a small country. But there's another reason why, perhaps, Israel has an ambivalent, difficult moral position in it. And that is, Israel is the steward to the Jewish community throughout the world. There are hundreds of thousands of Jews in Ukraine, nearly a million Jews in Russia. And when this war continues to go bad, and it will, history shows and tells us that those societies, like many others, look for something to blame. Putin already laid the carpet up, by the way, by accusing the Ukrainians of being under the control of a Nazified Jewish leader. He has unleashed these kinds of uh, stereotypical demons that are already swirling in the imaginations of people. When people can't buy food and their hospitals close because there are no more medicines and there's no more money to be drawn out of the ATMs, who are they gonna blame and don't think if not for a moment that the Israeli leadership doesn't understand what may very well be coming down the road and so Israel has always stood itself as the custodians of the Jewish community throughout the world protecting Jews who are defenseless we pray it won't come but we are forever grateful that Israel is there to do that job And so understand the difficult moment, position that Israel is in, and yet, and yet, they have stood and repeated over and over again, delicately perhaps, but defiantly, about how wrong all of this is. Shabbat Shalom.